Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers and visitors. So grateful to be here together. If you are here for the first time, or if this is one of your first times, if you've been coming, checking us out, looking at us online, and just haven't connected with any of us, we just, uh, I invite you to do so. Like the announcement said, below in the notes section, there's, this, there's a link to our new page. Uh, I personally want to get to know you. I want to have a cup of coffee or a meal with you. And so uh, we, we value connecting. It's the first part of our mission is connecting with people, is making Jersey City and City Life part of spiritual homes. And so uh, take us up on that. That's what we are passionate about, to live our lives together with Christ at the center of it all. And so I'm Pedro Reese. I act, probably shouldn't have, I should have said that before, but um, I'm Pedro Reese, and I'm the lead pastor here, and we want to connect with you. And today we are back in our Moses series, and I want to start off, this is our last week of Moses, and so I want to start off with this story that I, I feel is great. I love this story. I think about this story. I remind my heart of this story every once in a while when I need it. And the story goes like this. Uh, a, a seminary professor told this to me. I honestly don't remember who it is. But the story goes like this. One day this boy wakes up and he is so excited because today his dad promised him he was going to spend the whole day with his grandfather. And this boy loved his grandfather. He loved his grandfather so much and he couldn't wait to be with him, to have fun with him, to spend this time with him. This boy like, really loved his grandfather. And he woke up, he jumped out of bed, he was like trying to get his dad to get ready. Like, dad, dad, like, come on, get ready, we gotta go, I gotta go hang out with my grandpa. Like, dad, come on, man, you promised, like, let's go, let's go. And the boy gets ready, and finally his dad, like, is able to leave the door, and they're getting out the door. And the dad takes the son by the hand, and they start walking, and immediately the son realizes, like, dad, well, hold on, dad, you're taking me the wrong way, what's going on here? And the dad takes his son by the hand and looks at him and says, don't worry, son, I know where we're going. And then they were walking in the opposite direction. The boy has a lot of questions, but he loves his dad. He trusts his dad. And so they go, they go into a store. They have to pick up a couple of things for his grandfather. And the boy was like, okay, well, if this is for grandpa, then all right, fine, we can do this. But okay, now it's time to go to grandpa. And as they're leaving the door, the son, the dad takes the son by the hand and they start leaving. And the boy realizes again, like his dad is going in the wrong direction. And he looks up at his dad. He's like, dad, where are you going? This isn't the way to grandpa's house. And the dad holding his son by the hand says, don't worry, son. I know where we're going. And they're off. They're going in the wrong direction. The boy has so many questions swirling in his head. He's like getting annoyed. He's getting frustrated. They go into another store. And on their way out, the dad grabs the son by the hand and they start walking. And the boy realizes again that they're going in the wrong direction. And he's starting to lose it at this point. He's like, Dad, what are you doing? Like this, where are you going? This isn't the way to Grandpa's house. You told me that we would be with Grandpa today. You told me that this could be my day with him. Like, Dad, you, you told me I could do this thing, and now you're not letting me do this thing. What's the problem here? And the dad, holding his son by the hand, looks at his son and says, Don't worry. I know where we're going. And they're walking down the road, and the boy recognizes the area. He knows his aunt lives there, but he's just so angry. He's like, like Dad... Grandpa, we're going to Grandpa's house. 
why aren't you taking me there? You told me. I don't understand. I'm just so frustrated. I'm so angry. Take me to Grandpa's house. And as they approach his aunt's house, the dad opens the door, and the first thing the boy sees is his grandfather waiting there with arms spread open to hug his grandson. And they go in and they have this amazing time. And I think about this story this week because I resonate with this boy so much. Like, God, you promised me good things. Like, God, you told me we would be going places. Like, God, you promised to be with me. You promised to take care of me. Why are these things happening? Why am I so full of doubt? Why am I still so struggling? Like, Lord, why? And we always have these questions and we are, get so frustrated that we can't see. We're like, okay, like even if we know we've walked with God for a while, if we know that He's good and faithful, we doubt Him so often. I doubt Him so often. I resonate with this little boy. I'm like, God, I thought you promised me something else. I thought you promised me something good. It's like, or like, God, I didn't know this would be part of the deal. I don't want this to be part of the deal. I was like, God, I didn't expect this and I don't want this. If this is what it takes, I don't know if I'm in the game anymore. And then also like, God, God just why does it have to be this way? I resonate with that all the time, much more than I would like to admit, especially in this COVID season. I'm like, God, why? Why is this part of the deal? It would have been so much easier if it wasn't. Yet Moses' story is God's story of taking Moses by the hand and constantly providing for them constantly providing for him, showing him over and over and over again. God, like a father saying, son, don't worry. I know where we're going. That for decades, God took Moses by the hand and formed him to be able to trust him, to be able to walk with him, to be able to know that being led by God is the best way to go. And so over and over and over again, the Exodus story is a story of God providing to Moses, saying, I can do this. Trust me. I know where I'm taking you. And I'm forming you in the process. And so I think there's no better place to go to start our last sermon in our Moses sermon series than the story of this little boy. Week one, we started taking a look at Moses the man. And that is all that we cared about, saying, okay, who is this man that God called? How is he just like us? How is he just another person like this murderer who was on the run, who was rejected by his people and his adopted people? And that he like went into this season of solitude in Midian, having simple tasks with all the distractions taken away. He took on a wife and he shepherd his father-in-law's flock and that was all he was content with in that season. He was okay and in the meanwhile in the season of solitude processing who he was and though we're not told that we like it, this, his story screams that out when he names his firstborn son Gershom which means stranger in a foreign land or wanderer or immigrant or like in other words like Moses saying I'm a homeless man I belong to no one. The season of solitude produced 
this man who could be radically honest with himself to tell the whole world, this is who I am. I'm not Moses, I'm Gershom. And I love how Moses' story points out, you know what? A life that God can like really speak into is a life that is honest. We will never be perfect. Like God, like produce us to be honest people with one another. Honest people with ourselves. To know who we really are because then God can really speak into that. Any revelation that we ever get, right, even about ourselves, is always comes from God and God telling it to us. But like, oh, like when we are honest with ourselves, God can speak identity. And that's exactly what did, God did in week two. Pastor Ryan walked us through the burning bush invitation where God, like, interjects himself in God's story. God, he has been in Moses' story the whole time, but now he's, like, speaking to him. For the first time, he speaks to Moses. God sets up this burning bush, and Moses sees it, and he's like, well, that's kind of crazy. I need to go check it out. And the first moment that Moses gives God all of his attention, God starts to speak identity and calling over Moses, revealing to Moses who God is and who Moses is also in the process. And church, like, I just really want to be clear. This is our last week in Moses. I don't want this moment to pass away without saying, like, church, if you have no time to give God your attention, if God will not be one of your priorities, God is not going to hit you on top of the head always, right? He does that in Scripture, but not all the time. If God has no time in your life, if you are too busy to spend time with God, you will find that even though God has been with you every moment of your life, though He has been orchestrating every good thing in your life, you will find that you probably haven't been chasing God, but you've been chasing comfort or chasing yourself or chasing good things that you wanted. If you give God no time in your life, then He is not actually God in your life. So let that be a warning. Let Moses' story tell us that like, when we give God our attention, He jumps all over it and starts to speak life and identity and belonging into who we are. And then last week, we looked at the 40 years of formation that God wandered with Moses, taking him by the hand and providing two powerful ingredients in his formation. One, by providing divine power, like God just demonstrating his supremacy over Pharaoh, over Egypt, over evil, over things that we perceive as evil, like God just demonstrating that he is sovereign and that he can provide. And miracles aren't just done to like wow us or to like show us these things, but miracles ultimately are also done to teach us that God can be trusted, that he can provide. That somehow he like actually physically shepherded his people through the desert in a pillar of smoke and in a pillar of fire. Like what? He provides manna and water daily for hundreds of thousands of people in a desert. Like, wow, like God, this God can be trusted. He is faithful. And then in the second way, the more intimate way that he formed Moses in that time is that he set up this rhythm of meeting. And Moses did nothing in his whole ministry, in his whole calling. He did nothing apart from meeting with God from having intimacy with him, of like scripture saying that he, meeting face to face, 
of being together, of being intimate friends, of being these two souls that come together and exchange with one another, like real relationship. For four decades, Moses led a nation through meeting with God, like <laughs> powerful stuff right there. And then today we look at the end of Moses' story. We look at how he goes out. We look at the beautiful, intimate picture of his death that we're given. And we draw some more conclusions from this leading and forming process that God did in Moses' life for Moses and to shape a whole nation. And so let's pray to be like that kid who, like, even though we might be frustrated and angry at times, we trust our dad to say when he says that he can take us to where we're going. And so let's do that today. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to be here with us, to lead us so that we hear God's truth and so that we have something that we can put into our hearts and let God use to change us. And so please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercies and your grace, Lord. You were faithful to lead Moses and the Hebrew people in the desert, Lord, working out your plan through all of the difficulty and all of the joy, Lord. And we just ask the same for today, for us. Shape us and mold us and make us into these people who can get to Deuteronomy 34, the picture of who Moses was at the end, and of no glory to Moses, but of what you are capable of doing in a human life, Lord. Lord, we love you and we give you all these things. Holy Spirit, you are invited into the preaching of your word, into the hearing of your word, and also as a church for us to use this word to produce something godly in our lives. Lord, we love you. Walk us down this way. Take us by the hand. And even when we get frustrated, Lord, walk us, lead us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first place we're going to start to today is talking about the real promised land. Today we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy 34, the very last chapter of Deuteronomy, the last chapter of Moses' story. Beautiful, beautiful story, beautifully told. I love how God tells God's final moments like this. But before we jump into Deuteronomy 34, we just have to understand, for anyone who's not familiar with Moses' story, something really important happened all the way back in Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, God calls Moses, right? And in one of their regular meetings where they actually spoke with one another, right? Like two real people or two real individuals. And he says, you know what? Call the people, call Moses, get your staff, stand up here. I'm going to like speak water out of this rock. And I am going to show everyone my power through making water come out of this rock just through your speaking. And so, okay, they set everything up. They, he gets Aaron, he gets his staff, he, goes, he calls the people. And then in the moment, Moses gets heated and he, instead of speaking to the rock, he hits it twice with his staff. And water comes out. And God pulls Moses aside and he says, you know, like, you didn't do what I said. You disobeyed what I said. And for a lot of the reasons why we would be frustrated, his consequence was that he would not enter the promised land. Seems kind of steep of a price to pay for us, but that factors into the story here that we read today. 30, chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, we find a Moses who knows he cannot enter the promised land. Let's start by reading the first four verses of this. It says this, God's word says this. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab 
to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, to the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. I'm like, okay, like, okay, already the story of the little boy paying, is paying off. I'm like, like, Lord, okay, not only, if I was Moses, I'd be like, Lord, not only am I not going in here, but you're sitting me here, an old man on the top of this mountain, and you're miraculously showing me all of Israel. And I'm like, Lord, how could you not be upset? I would not be not angry. Like how this, the Moses that we have become so accustomed to hearing about, who challenged God, who spoke to him powerfully and honestly and raw, like this is Moses that we're accustomed to reading, like he changed God's mind twice, is what scripture says. And so I fully expect to read about this Moses who was defiant to the end, who was real with God to the end, who challenged him and spoke out to him and be like, Lord, but you've promised me this, or like all the times where he interceded for the people, he's like, Lord, no, but you said this, your promises are this, you're too good for the, like, I fully expect to read that type of Moses coming out here. That is not the Moses that we get in Deuteronomy 34. Verse 7, later we'll read that in a second. It goes out of its way to tell us that, you know, it's not because he's old and tired, right? It's not because he's lost his strength or his will. No, like we'll read about that in a second. Moses was still very much a strong leader, passionate, had his energy, was not old and tired. But the fighter Moses is nowhere to be found. God led him up to this mountain, Mount Nebo, and he showed him everything. And the picture that we get are these two old weathered friends sitting on a mountainside like they have done multiple times already and just enjoying one another. Just being confident and content with being together. Like I, I fully expected to read about this Moses who, is, who would just challenge and step up, but we see this Moses who was content. Who was content to be with his best friend. This Moses who was like, kind of like, well, there's nothing else to do. I just want to sit here with my God. God, out of an act of love, allows Moses to see it. I, I fully believe that it was an act of love that they had been together, like we read this and we interject emotions into this, but they had been years of intimacy with one another. And I think they got each other to a point where there wasn't a single word of protest in Moses' mouth. There was no indication for us to know here that he was sad or mad or angry or that he was just like biting his tongue with God. He was enjoying a beautiful view, enjoying seeing the fruits of 40 years worth of labor. Like, God, like 40 years worth of leading at people, a stiff-necked people, like what Moses called them often, a difficult people, an unpleasant people much of the time. And they just sat there, and they didn't fight. And I fully believe that it's because Moses 
got to a place. He was formed enough by God. He realized what God was doing enough that he learned the deepest lesson that God ever sought out to teach him. The lesson being that finding presence with God is always our ultimate promised land. That he didn't need to go into the land to find what he had been working for this whole time. Sitting there on that mountain with his friend, with his Lord, with his God was enough. That was the ultimate prize for him. Ruth Haley Barton writes this, she wrote this incredible book on Moses. It's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. It's, it's directed towards leadership, but I think it speaks to all of us. And she writes this in it. It says, It is as if everything Moses had gone through had prepared him for this moment. Well, whatever letting go he had done in order to leave the house of Pharaoh, to find God and himself in the wilderness, prepared him for this final letting go. Setting, settling down by the well in Midian and being content to be a soul in God's presence had prepared him to sit on the side of this mountain, utterly content, once again, to be a soul in God's presence. He no longer needed any role or responsibility or task to define him. Church, I think what we learn here in Moses' last moments is what we are all destined to learn. It's like the trajectory of every human life. Like the, the, the goal of all of this, of everything God does, of our searching for meaning and for truth and for beauty and for goodness and for Him. The greatest lesson that any of us could learn is that being a soul in God's presence is ultimately the best thing. Is every good thing that we've ever been promised, every good thing that we've ever found, every good thing that God has ever promised us are like glimpses, pictures of what's most ultimate, of sitting in His presence, of being, belonging to Him, finding everything we need in Him. You know, heaven is only heaven, this perfect place, because that's where he lives perfectly and holy, and where everything that is in heaven is consumed by him, is filled by him. Church, like, I, I just really want to be clear in our last week of Moses. Moses found his promised land already, and it was just being there with God, being in his presence, that everything God had ever promised him was just a glimpse of what it meant to be sitting in his presence. The land was real, right? Not that the promises weren't real, not that the struggle wasn't real, not that it wasn't also very practical. Like God gave them the land afterwards. He was faithful to fulfill his promise. But ultimately, Moses was sitting on this mountainside and he said, you know what? I don't need that. Like, God, I had you. You're all I've ever needed, all I ever want, and from like all I will ever want and need. In, in our seminary at Alliance Theological Seminary, there's this, this, this class called Divine Healing. And it's, a, it's not about learning formulas to healing, right? There's no formula to healing, but it's like, how does God heal in Scripture? How do we be sensitive to His move? Like, like what is God really doing when He's healing people here on this earth? And the first lesson on the first day that we learn is that, yeah, we're called to pray for healing. God is our healer. That's one of the four pillars of the CMA. 
that Jesus is our healer. But the greatest healing we will ever get is when we leave this world and be with him. Our ultimate healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way comes when we are fully in his presence, in his kingdom. And so Moses is sitting here on this mountainside and he's like, well, what else do I need? This whole time I've been with my best friend, the one who loves me through and through, the Savior, the one who made all of this. What else do I need? I don't need to go into a land. I, I want to be with my Lord. And then that brings up Moses' death and what I'm calling the audience of one. The audience of one is, is not a term that I came up with. It's, it's a Christian term. It's written about. But I see it so perfectly here in the next couple of verses here. Deuteronomy 34, again, verses 5 to 8 says this. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of the weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And I, I just like, I can't get over Moses' last moments. I can't get over the intimacy that we are shown here. Uh, decades of striving, of Moses not being happy or satisfied, not knowing who he was, and then finding God, and then having this difficult, difficult work to do of leading a whole people, of first getting them out of Egypt, and then leading a difficult, stiff-necked people. And then it all culminates in like going up on this mountain, and he's just so content. It's almost as if, like, I have nothing else to do. I just want to be with God. Like It's almost like he, like, just let his soul go in that moment because he was just so full of presence. And I, I love what God does here. I love how he was like jealous for this moment and allowed no one else to share this. I see so much of God showing honor and respect to his old friend. Number one, that just blows me away that God would ever want to know us, love us, take care of us, like that already is ridiculous out of our minds, like that God would want to do that. But how he cares for his friend, like think about this, like Moses is already dead and he's in his presence in heaven, in his kingdom. But God, the one who formed everything, the one who, like Isaiah says, holds the whole universe, the span of everything in his hand, the God who knows every grain of sand in the desert, takes the time to bury his deceased friend's body. Like he doesn't even tell anyone where he's buried because it's this intimate, this intimate knowledge between him and his friend. God so perfectly cares for us. Like all of the love and attention, detail, the meeting over decades that God shared with his friend, he had to bury his friend. I love that intimacy. I love how the God of the universe cares for us in life and in death. It's just to me so beautiful, it's overwhelming. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton writes again, she writes this. 
Certainly, he has some sense of the terrible loneliness he had moved in and out of throughout his life would finally be eradicated because physical death was the final transition into pure presence. Finally, there would be nothing standing between him and the lover of his soul. For Moses, the presence of God was the promised land. Next to that, everything else had already paled in comparison. I find that to be really beautiful. And I also find that like my first thoughts of here are like hearing people push back on this. Not any one individual person, but I, I can hear what we would say to this. They're like, well, okay, well, I'm not Moses, right? Like Moses was one of like, he's a Mount Rushmore type of person, right? He, he's up there, right? Hebrews talks about him. He's in the hall of fame, right? And I'm like, I, I can never compare to this, or I don't have that calling, or I'm not that great, or like, it's, it's actually 2021, right? Like, does this stuff actually ever happen anymore? Is this really real? Is this the type of life that we're called to? Is this still available to us today? And I can like feel and sense us pushing back there. And I just want to say a couple of things. It's like, first of all, like, let us not be people who criticize this, who say like, okay, this is far-fetched. This has nothing to do with me. This is irrelevant in my life because things are just different, right? And I like, I just like, I just have to think of like, are we people who even know our own callings? Like to me, I feel this, this criticism comes when we are a people who are unaware of our calling. Like, do you know your calling? Can you put it in a paragraph? Do you know what God has set you up for? Like, do you... Do you have this relationship with him where you've gone to him and it's like, Lord, who am I? What have you put me here to do? What's the work that I'm supposed to be doing? Secondly, I'm like, okay, like, well, let us also not be a people who criticize. We might not have the calling the size of Moses, right? Very, I think very few people on the face of the earth ever have a calling the size of Moses, but like, let us not talk our callings down because you know what a calling is? It's God saying, I have made you for this and I will be in it. And so everyone's calling is significant because it's God saying, I will be in your life in this way. I will provide for you. I will walk down this road with you. I will take you by the hand and be the good, good father bringing you to your grandfather saying, don't worry, I know how to lead you. I know where we're taking you. And so let us never be people who talk down calling because that's like God saying, I will walk with you in this way. We all share the same primary calling. Every single human who has ever lived has the same primary calling, which is to know Yahweh as our Lord and Savior, to know Christ as the one who died on the cross for us. But then we all have these individualized callings that God put you here for. And so let us be people who explore that calling because we want intimacy. I think many of us are like, we love the Lord, but we're lost and we have no tether and we don't know what we're living for because we don't know our calling because that's where we experience God and where we experience His faithfulness, where we say challenge, where we feel Him say, you know what, let's do this and you will only succeed if I'm in this with you to teach you intimacy with me. And so all of that, like church, I just like feel this heavy burden to once again tell us that if God isn't becoming our main thing, if He is not everything in our life, then we might find that He is actually nothing in our life. If He is not your pursuit above everything else, 
then maybe that's why you feel empty. Maybe that's why if you've been a Christian for a while, you don't feel the juice that other people do. You don't feel the commitment or the love or the vitality. It's because have you made him the pursuit of your life? Is being in presence with God like your promised land? Is seeking this like intimate life with him what you're living for? At some point, and I don't know when that point is, only God does, but at some point, it's your priority, it's your joy, it's your life, or it's not. And then all of this like, turns to the last thing that we have to talk briefly about today, which is Joshua's turn. Let's read verse 9 to the end here. It says this, God's word says this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of, the spirit, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded, had commanded Moses. And there, was, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all the servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power all and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Church, uh, we are actually going to come back to Joshua. It's going to be the last sermon for the end of the year after our Advent season. We're going to come back to him. So let me just say this though. I, I did not want today to end without saying this. And Moses passed away, right? But he provided the next leader. He provided the leader for the next season. Because God never leaves his people. Those seasons come and seasons go. Good seasons end and bad seasons come. And then bad seasons end and seasons, good seasons might come. Though the like, cast of characters in your life might come. You might, you might have different assignments in different seasons. Like God might speak to you in different ways and at different times. But God is like always there, doing a new thing. And just like God appointed this new leader, imagine the amount of pressure that it comes following Moses. Like, sheesh, sheesh, that is crazy. But God's full spirit of wisdom was on Joshua because God was still at work in his people. And so don't be afraid of allowing God to do new things in your life speak to you in new ways, challenge you in new ways, call you to new things. End seasons, even if they're great, so that you can step into what's next. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of letting God speak in different ways. I think many of us, instead of chasing what God is always doing in our lives, we are mostly chasing how God has spoken to us in the past. And we become frustrated because we're just trying to look for what he did in the past when he's trying to do something new. And so let us be people who let him do something new. And so let's, all, let's take all of this and, and conclude our little Moses series real quick. Let's go to the conclusion. Our themes for the year have been simple. Three simple themes. One being that we would be a people that by December 31st of this year, we would know our identity in Christ better than we ever have. 
there's still a lot more. Our whole lives are getting to know that, right? But that we would know our identity better December 31st than we did this past January 1st. The second part of our, of our theme this year of what we were called to do was for us to mature in our relationship and our walk with Jesus. That we would be taking these tangible steps into maturity, like growing up, like actually doing new things and actually believing in truth and actually growing and being in new places, taking on new assignments, going after new things, having a tangible difference in our walk with Jesus. And then we also pursued emotional health because we're only ever as healthy as we are emotionally healthy. Our emotional health is like the capacity that we have to understand ourselves and all the lessons God is teaching us. And I see all three of these powerfully in Moses. In Moses' story, I see all of our themes. I see a man whose story started when he was finally emotionally honest with himself. When he was finally able to grasp after a season of solitude, of putting every distraction away and saying, Who am I? And God spoke to him. I see like, at this honest man being confronted with the Lord and saying, like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but take me by the hand and walk me in for decades this man was formed by this God, by meeting him, by relying on him, by being challenged by him, by being honest and real with him. That for decades, Moses walked with God and God over and over and over again taught him that he was strong enough and good enough to provide maturing his walk with him. Learning how to be fully present with God and bring all of who he was to him. From the baby that was put in the well, to the young man who killed out of rage and passion, to this old man who died on a hillside, just content to be with his Lord. I, I pray that our lives look like Moses's in that we are able to say, like God, lead me, take me by the hand, and take me where you want to go. Lord, I'm this little boy who wants to go to his grandpa. And so take me by the hand because I don't know how to get there. I emotionally don't know how to get there. I spiritually don't know how to get there. I lack the power. I am not strong enough. I am not smart enough. But you are all of those things. And so take me by the hand and take me where you want to go. Take me by the hand and form my soul. Bring me healing, bring new things, new challenges. Give me honest work to do, and I'll follow you. And so, church, that has been my hope all of this year for myself and for us as a people, to let God form us and mature us. And that is what we as a church will continue to be doing. Next week, we start our Advent season, where we prepare ourselves for Jesus' birth. Like we, where we take weeks to say, like, I need to get ready to celebrate Jesus. To think about this radical act of God becoming man. And so I'm excited for it. I'm excited to be walking with you. So church, join us in these next couple weeks in Advent, in our MCs. Let's keep going at it. Let's like keep on praying for God's provision to come into our lives. 
for him to be providing for this body, for our church. And Lord, thank you for all the things that you've done for us up until now and this year. We love you. And church, I love you all, and we'll see each other soon. Church, I actually forgot to mention something. Following this recording, following our online service, we are going to be jumping on a Zoom call. If City Life is your home church, uh, join me on this call. It'll be right here on the notes. It's going to be popping up now or momentarily. And uh, join us on this call because we have some important things to discuss about our church and how we are continuing to be doing uh, both our online service and our in-person in a location. And so join me on this call. I'll see you in moments. Love you all. Uh, bye.